0: All right. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. This morning we're going to be in uh, verses 1 through 12. So just while you're turning there, uh, let me just express how uh, grateful and excited I am to, to be here with you all, uh, to worship alongside you, to uh, sing God's praises, to, to read his word together, uh, and to uh, share uh, this this calling that we have with one another. Uh, this calling into uh, one spirit, this calling into one faith and one baptism, and to, to walk uh, in, in faith together. And so as we are uh, collectively praying together about uh, God's will for, for both of our churches, and uh, this opportunity to merge, uh, know that, that we are uh, praying with you, praying for you, and praying that, that God's will will be done. Uh, I was raised in a, a church uh, not unlike this one. Uh, albeit there in, in Texas, and uh, one thing that uh, I had uh, constantly done as a, as a child, and I'm sure like like many of you would. In between listening intently uh, to to the sermon when it was preached, is uh, my mind, especially as a child, would uh, would wander and I'd, you know just look for, for other things to do. Um, and so I, was, I wasn't saved yet. It's fine. Um, but when I was a, a child, maybe uh, a Bible like yours uh, in the back, there would be these little maps, and so I'd be flipping through and. Uh, you know, just looking for something to do. And I I see all these uh, different maps there in the back and uh, giving color and intention and understanding uh, to uh, the story of Scripture. Uh, And one that I was uh, frequently caught caught by uh, are Paul's missionary journeys. And so maybe you've you've seen these. Maybe you can check the back of your Bible uh, if if you have this. And uh, generally, these are uh, tools that help us lay out uh, the pattern that we see in the book of Acts uh, of, of Paul's missionary journeys and so uh, I would just sit there uh, and just kind of trace these, these places not knowing uh, anything about Galatia or Philippi or uh, Tarsus or, or wherever he was coming from or going to uh, but just kind of seeing this, this work and not realizing even at this moment uh, frankly what we're talking about this morning is the way that the spirit moved in the mission of the church to see the, the places and the detail here and just kind of expressed in, in lines and arrows, but not catching the, the fullness of uh, how the Spirit works in our lives. That that same Spirit that uh, guided and directed Paul in his work and uh, Peter and Barnabas and those of the early church is still moving in our church today. That That you and I are called to be on mission with him and so as we read through uh, this this passage together we're going to be moving all the way through uh, verse 12 but just taking uh, just two uh, two or three verses at a time as we as we move to see uh, the ways that the spirit moves and so I invite you uh, if you have your Bible to read with me Acts chapter 13 verses 1 through three now they were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers Barnabas Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So if you're uh, keeping notes there in your your bulletin, uh, we're going to be looking at at three different ways that the Spirit uh, moves in mission with us. And the very first way uh, that the Spirit moves is that the Spirit calls. We see here in the first three verses of of chapter 13 in the book of Acts that the Spirit is calling out uh, his workers into the fields of harvest. So this is, if you're looking back at that map, this is that that very first point, that point A uh, in which Paul is going to uh, move into the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, Up until this point, we've been following uh, Peter and uh, the the apostles there in Jerusalem, and we've seen these kind of concentric circles get wider and wider and wider. In Acts uh, 1, chapter chapter 1, verse 8, we see kind of a pattern or a picture of the way that the book of Acts is structured. Uh, the way that we're going to see uh, the book unfold and lay out, and uh, frankly, the way that it uh, defines our mission today in Acts 1, uh, verse 8, we see that uh, Christ is, is commissioning his church, that as he is a- about to send to ascend into heaven, as he's about to, to leave uh, us to, to uh, rise and, and reign with, uh, with the Father, uh, that he comes to them and points to them, and he says that you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we begin to see this this pattern in this structure of where the Spirit falls on them at Pentecost, fills the, the early church, it fills the disciples and they begin to proclaim the gospel. That they begin, begin to become his witnesses there in the church as they begin to, to go out from there. They, they fill Jerusalem, and then they move into Judea, into Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And this pattern picks up right here in, in, in chapter 13 as as Barnabas has uh, gone now and confirmed the church. In chapter 11 we saw as he uh, has heard these these rumors uh, of, of a church there in Antioch. Not in Jerusalem, not in Judea and Samaria, but this, this place called Antioch. They've uh, received the, the gospel. They're, they're starting a church and they're saying, hey, we are a part of, of this same Jesus of Nazareth. We are, we are a part of, of this faith. And the apostles hear this and they're saying, we, we need to check this out. We need to find out what's happening here. And so Barnabas is one that is uh, coming to Antioch. He's confirming the work there. He's saying, yes, this is the gospel. Yes, this, this is the church. And this is uh, the ministry and witness of Christ. But even more than that, he's, he's commending them. He's encouraging them. And he's, he's teaching them that here he is recognizing this need for this, this local church. And he doesn't just go back to Jerusalem. Instead, it says that he goes to Tarsus. He goes to find uh, this, this man named Saul who was uh, a persecutor of the church, but winsomely uh, persuaded by Christ through blindness and then his healing uh, to a man that was asked, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Comes to, to grips and, and comes face to face with the risen Christ. And instead of being a persecutor of the church, becomes sent out as a missionary for it. This forgotten link of, of Paul's timeline in, in Tarsus there, he uh, did not immediately after receiving his sight saying, all right, we need to start, let's start planning churches, let's get on mission. And instead, he, he sought to, to faithfully uh, unlearn what he had learned and, and reorient his mind towards recognizing and seeing Christ. That a, a Sparknotes version of a, of a story will, will miss the, the detail and beauty of, of Christ working in our lives. That there's not this salvation that comes that immediately follows uh, with, with service, but there's also faithfulness and preparation that precedes it. That here, if you, like me, have, have found ourselves uh, so grateful for those like Michael and Allie that are uh, serving there in Iraq, and, and as we pray for them, as we uh, lift them up before our Lord, uh, that we can often uh, begin to think, uh, those are the professional Christians. Th- those are those that uh, have decided to, to count the cost, sell everything, and, and, and follow Christ in ways that maybe we don't even think that, that we are capable But one thing that we need to keep in mind as we're praying for them and as we're praying for their faithfulness and as the the gospel goes out to those places that we need to recognize that we are also on mission here. That if we're following the pattern there in Acts 1-8 of Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, we are the ends of the earth. That, That we are a part of the mission of God. That it's not up to the professional Christians, right? It's not up to those uh, that are, are getting rid of everything, but it's also for those that are coming to church on Sunday and going out into the field on Monday. That, that as we labor in what God has called us to, professional ministry defines us all. You say, well, I'm not a professional minister. It's like, well, do you have a profession? Do you do, you do something uh, or do you literally go home and, and sit down and turn on the TV and wait until Sunday comes back around and that's when you turn the TV off and you stand up and you say, well, it's, it's been a week. I haven't moved. It's time to, time to go be a Christian again. That's not how we function. We, we go out and whether we have uh, jobs or, or vocations or uh, we, we tend the home, that we are serving Christ on mission, that you see people that I do not see, that you go places that I do not go, that there are those that are in need of the gospel here and now. And so as the Spirit calls us, he calls us to work in the church. This is what he called Barnabas and Saul. This is what he called uh, Peter, Timothy. This is what he called Augustine and Luther. This is what he called Aquinas and John Calvin, this is what he has called every believer who has ever lived, including you and I, to do, is to faithfully serve in his church. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. All of these different men, all of these uh, different people that are, are gifted and set apart and leading, they are, they're teaching and they're ministering to the Lord, they're worshiping him and, and fasting him. And the Spirit comes and he sets two apart. The Spirit is the one who determines how and, and where we function. It is the Spirit that has placed you in your job. There's the Spirit that has placed you where you live. It is the Spirit who has placed you in your circle of friends. It is the Spirit who has placed you uh, in your family for His purposes and not our own. We believe that the Spirit is, is moving us and calling us into this merger. But it's for the church to confirm. Not just for for me or Steve to decide this is what we want to do or this is how we feel the Lord is leading, but instead to say this is how we feel the Lord is leading and now we need you to confirm this. We see this in in verse 3. As Paul and Barnabas are sent off in this, It says after fasting and praying, they, the church, laid their hands on them and sent them off. That the Spirit is the one who set them apart. The Spirit is the one who calls, but it is the church who, that sins. It is the church that confirms the will of God. This is not dependent on man's pedigree or training. As we look further at this text, it lists among a, a number of others that are here with Barnabas and Saul. Lucius of Cyrene is uh, possibly considered the founder of this church. Manan, clearly here, is a man that is in the court of Herod, the Tetrarch. He is uh, politically significant, that he has uh, these ties. And here are two men. Here's the man that founded the church, and here's one that has great sway with the the government. Surely the the Spirit is going to set this apart. But that's not how the Spirit works. He's calling anyone and everyone according to his will. That we are called according to the Spirit to, to be where he has placed us. And so we might even say, Lord, how, how are you moving in my life? Where would you like me to serve? Where would you want me to, to be and move and go? Start with where you are. Barnabas and, and Saul, in one sense, are not starting off this map. They're not starting off this, this blue or red line or, or whatever your, your map may show, but instead they were faithfully serving where they were first that this is the church's mission. The church's mission is missions. This is what Christ has commissioned us to do. In Matthew 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20 we we see that Christ has has commissioned us to preach the gospel, He's to go and make disciples, declaring the gospel, baptizing them, teaching them everything that he has taught us. That this is the, the pattern that we are commissioned into. That this is a, a pattern and a commissioning of the entire church. That our, our faith, our walk here is a, is a personal faith. It's one in which we are invited to as individuals to call on the name of Christ. To, to profess faith in him. We are saved by, by his grace. But it never moves into a, a private faith. That as we are sent by the church, we are submitting ourselves to, To the community. That the community of faith is one that is a a benefit to us. And is also benefited by us. That you have a distinct role to play in this fellowship. That you have been placed here by Christ. Called by his spirit. To be about his That this is what God has, has led you to do. And that idea of our faith being personal but not private is one that we can be uncomfortable with. If you're a fan, as I know Steve is, uh, of the sitcom uh, The Office, uh, you see this uh, dynamic pressed and, and strained at times. If you haven't seen it before, uh, Steve Carell plays this uh, bumbling manager. Uh, he has the the proverbial, if you turn to the book of Proverbs and you read anything about a fool, that is that is Michael Scott. That is this uh, manager of a uh, small paper company, and uh, he's wrestling with this family and work dynamic. It's uh, constantly you know, crossing personal barriers and it's uh, un- uncomfortable at time to watch. Uh, and at one point he's, he's reflecting on this and he's saying, Would I rather be feared or loved? Easy, both. I want people to be afraid of how much they love me. <laughs> and, and this is kind of the, the absurdity that this character brings out. But, but shouldn't that be kind of the, the dynamic of the church? Shouldn't we be uh, afraid in one sense of how much we love those that Christ has called us to? That we should recognize that this family work dynamic isn't something of, of the professional world or things that we leave out there in the world. But instead that we have been united and called together as a, a family in Christ. That these people that are sitting beside you and in front and behind you, uh, even at, at six feet apart, that this are, these are not strangers, but these are your brothers and sisters. That if we have professed Christ, if we have, have called our, ourselves to his mission, that we don't do so as, as these, these private agents where it's the, uh, I, I work alone. No, it's instead, no, Christ has called us to be on mission in his church. That this is the way that the Spirit calls. And so the Spirit has called Barnabas and Saul. He has called them out of the church to go and plant churches, that the Spirit calls us to be on mission. Let's pick up in verses 4 through 8. He continues on saying, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul Sergius Paulus, or he was with the proconsul rather, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Alemas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Just as we see that the Spirit is the one who calls in verses 1 through 3, in uh, verses 4 through 8, we see that that second way that the Spirit moves, and that is that the Spirit leads. That is the Spirit who is leading the church here. It is the Spirit who sends them out and leads them uh, from Seleucia down to to Cyprus, uh, down to to Slaz. Uh, that as they're they're coming from these these different islands, these different places, these uh, different parts of of their mission, what they're doing is they're proclaiming the word of God. That as the Spirit leads, He leads us to proclaim the word of God. That one thing that we need to recognize is that the Spirit of God will not take you where the word of God says that you should not be. We we have a culture and a, a place where. Uh, we, we view the, the spirit leading as, as this kind of trump card where we can, we can lay it down and nothing else can be said about that. The, the spirit is leading me to do this. And so if you're opposing me, really, you're, you're opposing God. That's uh, not what we see. It's the fact that the uh, spirit of God is not ever moving us where the word of God is not permitting us to be. And so when we follow the, the leading of the Spirit is that the Spirit leads us to proclaim the Word of God. If we hear a message and we say, hey, the Spirit has led me to, to say this, or the, the Spirit is, is calling you to do this. The, for example, let's just say, uh, hypothetically, I'm sure this has never happened, if a preacher was to stand up on stage and say, hey, God really wants me to have that third private jet. And you know what? He has told me that you're going to pay for it, right? You know, it's incredible. The, the Spirit never gives us private jet. He, he makes other people pay for it. Um, <laughs> but that is so out of step with how the Spirit moves. The, the Spirit of, of God is not going to be in contradiction to the Word of God. That Christ isn't going to call us to holiness and then the Spirit is going to allow us into sin. That Christ isn't going to call us to proclaim the gospel and then the Spirit is going to call us to be removed. That the Spirit of God is is leading in synchrony and consistency and in step with the Son. Sent from the Father, sent from the Son, as we are called to, to proclaim the word. We see that as they come to the island of Paphos, they move through the whole island. That there is no place that does not need to hear the gospel. And that's why we can thank God for those that are are serving there like the stillies in Iraq and we can also thank God that there are people like you that are serving here. Why? Because there is no place that does not need to hear the gospel. That this is what Christ has called us to. And it doesn't take a professional Christian to do it. In 1850, there was a a snowstorm in a a small town, Colchester in England. There was a, a... small church in which the pastor, because of the storm, wasn't able to to make it to the service. And so a substitute preacher uh, took the stand. A a young boy had been moving through the city and and sought shelter from the storm. Saw an open door and went inside the church and sat there in the back row. This substitute preacher, who was uh, not supposed to be preaching that morning or that evening uh, instead, but uh, in this snowstorm, decided to just open scripture and read it. Came to a passage in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 22, and just began to repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. Isaiah 45, 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no one else. So we pause and he would read it again, Isaiah forty five twenty two: look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no one else. As he began to continue to read this verse over and over and over again, this 15-year-old boy that had slipped in just to, to get out of the snow, to get out of the snowstorm, begins to hear this, feeling the Spirit leading him and convicting him of sin, leading him in this verse to look unto the Lord and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for he is God and there is no one else. It was a substitute preacher he called on into a moment and only proclaimed the word of God and Charles Spurgeon was saved that day. The Lord does not need the professional <laughs> Christian. He chooses instead all who will call on him. This is the way that the Lord moves. He calls us. He leads us. His spirit leads us to proclaim the word of God. You don't need every answer. You don't need to to be able to anticipate or to be formally trained. You need to know, have I been saved? Can I offer the same salvation? And it's not to neglect those questions and say, well, you don't need to ask questions. You just need to put your faith in Christ and instead say, hey, I don't know that. But I, I can help you find it. Let, let's, let's go to our elders together. Let's, let's go to this together. Let's read on this together and, and let's seek out this answer. But let us not think that we are insufficient to herald the word of God. The Spirit leads to proclaim the word of God. As they are coming, they are going through the entire island. They are proclaiming the gospel here but it also calls us to face false teaching. As the Spirit is, is leading them, he's leading them through this island. And here's is this, this man, this Alemus, this Bar-Jesus. And he is uh, with the pro-council. He is with this, this leader in this city. Uh, he's called the, uh, Paul and Barnabas to, to hear them. He wants to hear the gospel. And, and Alemus weasels his way back in. Knowing that he has influence, knowing that, that he has control here, And wanting to retain that, he opposes the Word of God. The Spirit confronts false teaching, that we ought to stand firm when truth is opposed. And again, just in the same way that we can uh, say that the Spirit of God does not take us where the Word of God does not go, we need to also recognize that when the Spirit calls us to confront or, or to, to have conflict with false teaching, we need to recognize when it is truth and when it is ourselves. Because what this is, is not saying is that the Spirit does not disagree with everyone that you disagree with, right? The, the Spirit is not uh, arbitrated by our own personality, right? that God doesn't have the, the same uh, political views that I do on every tick, right? I, I hope that I will align my politics with, uh, with God and with Scripture and, and with all of that. But to, to say that, that I alone have the, the corner on what God thinks is, is to raise myself up onto his throne. To, to avoid that instead is to say, what is Scripture? What has the Gospel, what has the Spirit been clear about? Namely, salvation but also these, these secondary matters. Is, as we seek to know the Spirit's will, will we oppose false teaching when we're faced with it? False teachers' goal often is not to uh, necessarily directly oppose Christ as much as it is to orient others, to turn others towards themselves. Is to say, how, how can this benefit me? How, how can I orient these people their influence, their giftings, what they have for my benefit. That we would build up our own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God. This is what a false teacher does and often this is away from Christ, knowingly or unknowingly. I think there are pastors on television, pastors in churches that don't recognize that they're building their own kingdom. I think there are congregants in pews on television and off television that seek to to build their own kingdom knowingly or unknowingly, but that we would submit ourselves to the Spirit and say, Lord, we want to face false teaching and I want to face that first in my own heart to say that I am not seeking my will, but yours. C.S. Lewis, in his famous book, The Screwtape Letters, is written from the perspective of a senior demon uh, to a, a minor demon, this uh, uncle to a nephew. Uh, he shows us that you don't always have to be the opposite to oppose. This is what he writes. He says, uh, this one demon writing to another, he says, you will say that some of these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into nothing. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. The gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Let me read that again. The safest road to hell is the gradual one. The false teacher, the the enemy of God, those that oppose the leading of the Spirit, the proclamation of, of God's word, will rarely confront us in a way that often we prepare ourselves for. It will rarely be in these overt calls to denounce Christ with a gun to our head. Instead, it's these gentle slopes softening under our feet without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts in which we move further and further and further away from God's word. The Spirit of God calls us to face these false teachings. To confront things that would oppose the truth of the gospel. To face these oppositions of God himself. Why? Because this is what the Spirit has called us to do. To be on mission with him. Is to invite the world to be with Christ. Not twisting or shaping or molding Christ to look more like the world. The Spirit has called us to this work. He has led us to this work. And now in verses 9 through 12, we see that at the same time, He is filling us in this work. Verse 9 reads But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. You will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And the proconsul believed. When he saw what he had occurred and he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Spirit has called us into mission. He has led us into mission. And now we see that we are filled by the spirit and mission. That the spirit is the one who fills us. To be filled with the Spirit here is to recognize the history of God's movement. When we look at Scripture, we turn back to the Old Testament. We see stories of Joseph and Moses and David, the ways that that God is subverting patterns of strength to show himself strong. That he, he wants to raise up those that are the weakest in order to show that it is by his strength. That we are moving. So Joseph here is not the oldest or the strongest son, but this one that is sold into slavery instead is raised up to save a nation. As Moses is a criminal on the run, as a a murderer is fleeing from everything, is instead called to deliver out of bondage and slavery his people. As David is not this oldest son, not the strongest son, Uh, but instead is not even in the house when the prophet comes to call. He's out tending the sheep, and yet he is the one that is anointed as king. He is the one that stands before Goliath, not in trusting his own armor or his own strength, but in the strength of God. That the history of God's movement in the world is using people that are insufficient on their own, that they're incapable on their own, but filled with the Spirit of God, become capable. Filled with the Spirit of God, become sufficient. That this is the collaborative effort of God's work in the world, that he chooses to use us. That he chooses to use us as as catalysts, as as vehicle, uh, of more than just the Spirit filling us at salvation, but it's also that the Spirit fills us with power to be about his work. And so we, we come to texts like this and we, we come to uh, even just Scripture at large and, and people say, why does God work this way? Why does he, he use people? Why, does he, why doesn't he just fix this himself? Why doesn't God ever just answer and, and just wipe out the wickedness on the earth? Why doesn't God move in these ways? Why does he let this happen? Why does God want us to, to participate in this? And it's because it, it glorifies him. It, it shows him to be strong And it's out of love and invitation that we are invited into this, that we are able to participate in a fuller life because we've been invited to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be on mission with God. That just as my my six-month-old daughter cannot do anything on her own, Yes, I, I, can, I can feed her. And she's, she's moving to, to solid foods. It's, it's a mess, right? It's, uh, it's just it's a nightmare. But she has these, these little uh, teething wafers, right? And, and yes, I, I can hold it. And I can hold her bottle. And I can, I can hold these things for her. But if I never let her take hold of these things, if I never let her do anything on her own, she'll never develop into, into a functioning human. And that's, that's what we're going for right now It's just a functioning human. Uh, and and that'll, that'll work. But just as, as children need to learn to do something, to be invited and say, well, you're the parent, surely you could just pick them up and, and they, don't, they don't move very quickly, they don't do this as well as I would. But it's, no, 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 we are teaching them to move in this way. In the same way God is, is inviting us. Yes, he's capable of doing this himself. But how much more, more beautiful and intentional And for the good of his children, is it that he invites us to be a part? That that he he says to us, I want your help. Not that he, he needs us, but that he has invited us to have a fuller life in him that the spirit has filled us for his work. And so as Paul looks at this facing false teaching and proclaiming the word is filled with the spirit, speaks to him and confronts him of this false teaching. And by the hand of the Lord, he says you will be blind and unable to see for a time. Probably a familiar thing for Paul, having gone through this personally himself. He's like, hey, this is about to get rough. <laughs> because you are exactly where I was. And isn't that the hope of the gospel is that we speak to people, we, we confront this false teaching, but not in a way that is, is haughty or superior, but instead to say, you are where I was. And there is hope for you. Not that I have now reached this this holy and perfect life myself, but instead I am dependent on the filling and leading and calling of the Spirit. That the Lord's hand in judgment and regard and protection and wrath is moving here, that he prepares us, that he calls us, he uses the gifts that he has given us, but also he moves in incredible power and incredible ways that are beyond man's giftings. This wasn't like Paul's tendency, like some people are good at math and Paul can blind people. That's not how this works. Instead, this is this this ability that here is only through the filling of the Spirit, that the Spirit of God fills this in an incredible way and it is giving glory to God alone. That as the Spirit fills us, as the Spirit is leading and moving in us, we recognize that we are but tools in His hand but that he is the one that is moving. We give glory to him alone. Why? Because we recognize that we cannot do anything without being filled. Just think of just a balloon. When when I just say that, you know, most of our minds will go to, uh, you know, the the little latex thing about this size. It's decorating parties or it's, you know, outlining a sign or or whatever it is. But we need to obviously expand that, right? Balloons are also uh, of the weather type, uh, that they are of the travel type, uh, that they are even of medicine, that tiny balloons can uh, unclog arteries, that they're inflated and they break down uh, blockages and can move in this way. So weather, medicine, decor, travel, whatever it is, we recognize that whatever balloon we consider, that they are useless without being filled can you imagine going to a party and there are adorning the walls or deflated balloons tacked to the wall? That you, you go to ride a hot air balloon and, and you get in the basket and there's the balloon deflated on the ground. All right, let's go. Or if your doctor puts this balloon in your vein in order to clear this, this blockage and he, he says, all right, go. That all of these are, are useless unless they are real. In the same way, our our lives can do different things. They can operate in different spheres, in different sizes, in different places. But we are useless to the kingdom of God unless we are filled. Unless the, the spirit of God indwells within us, we are useless to the mission of God. And so we may say, man, this balloon is well-decorated, it's beautiful, it's laid out, it's, it's significant, it's large, it's whatever it is. Unless it is filled, it's useless. And so in the same way, we can say, look at this person, they have all these giftings, and they have all these tools, and they have all these resources. Unless they are filled with the Spirit of God, they're inefficient. The Spirit of God is the only efficient maker. And so as the Spirit calls us to mission, as he leads us in proclaiming his word, as he fills us, that we give glory to God alone, we have to recognize that it is only by the Spirit that any of this is possible. That the Spirit of God has called and equipped the church to be on mission. And we must act accordingly. That we are called, we are led, we are filled all to the glory of God. And so as we consider these next steps as our church, as Old Oak Bible Church, as Grantwood Community Church, Lord willing, if he would bring us together, that we would only do so by the calling, leading, and filling of his spirit. And so as we submit ourselves to him to pray, not our will, not our kingdom, but his. We trust that he will lead. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. Lord, for the gift of salvation. Lord, the, the calling into mission. Lord, for the hope of the gospel. Father, I, I just know that wherever each of us are, Lord, that we can, we can struggle at times in, in just thinking about Lord, how, how might you have us on mission, Lord? How, how might you be calling us to serve more in, in the church, Lord, in our workplaces, in our homes? Lord, in whatever season of life we are in, Lord, we want to come before you and be led. Lord, we ask that your spirit would, would call us into your will, Lord, would lead us by the hand as we proclaim your word, Lord, as we oppose false teaching. Lord, not as we, we herald our opinions, Lord, Your truth. Lord, fill us to use our giftings for Your glory. Lord, to make Your will known. Lord, to be glorified in Your church. Lord, we love You and we we trust You and we ask that You would be moving in us. God, we pray these things in the saving name of Jesus Christ and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.